A I N M E N U Main Menu Main Menu Main Menu Hello everyone and welcome to Main Menu for the 4th of August 2017. We are back and this is your co-host Jason Castingway speaking. Are you ready to be picked up by a driverless car? Tune in as we bring you a piece of the convention where the Transportation and Environmental Access Committees join together. We first talk about Uber and Lyft and the progress being made towards self-driving cars. Then the discussion turns to IRA and wayfinding technology. There isn't enough time in this episode to bring that full discussion, but it will continue in the next episode. A note that there were some microphone issues during the meeting on occasion, they would just cut off, and so those silent moments have been edited out. If you hear a sentence that isn't complete, you'll know why. We thank you for your understanding. It's good to be back. Enjoy listening. Opinions expressed on ACB Radio are those of the respective program contributors and cannot be assumed to serve as endorsements of products or views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Good afternoon. Uh, my name is Alice Richard, and I'm the chair of the Trans- ACB Transportation Committee, and we would like to welcome you all. And I'm really excited to wait and hear what Tony has to say. Tony Stevens from um, American Council of the Blind has been involved and is uh, has attended lots of the um, meetings in regards to the development and what's going on. And so he's going to talk to us today. And if you're like myself and a lot of us on the Transportation Committee, we're excited and yet a little nervous. So hopefully Tony will put all of us at ease and get us all excited about the future and the fact that who knows before long we may be able to get where we want to go when we want to go so at this point i'm going to shut up and turn it over to tony good afternoon everybody hi my name is tony stevens i'm director of advocacy and government affairs with the american council of the blind in washington dc it is very much a a pleasure to have a chance to come speak with you all i'm not just the staff liaison for the Transportation Committee that Alice and a bunch of other people chair, but actively involved right now on some very exciting things in Washington, D.C. You know, typically, traditionally, my job was always seen, not always seen, but, you know, in a sense, uh, life on Capitol Hill. Um, and there's some exciting things around autonomous vehicles to share regarding Capitol Hill. Uh, but there's also exciting things to share about the, the relationships that ACB, Eric Bridges, and myself and others within our organization have been able to make um, regarding autonomous vehicles. So I'll give, I'll give a broad stroke brush about the advocacy we're doing in regards to Uber and Lyft as well. Because um, I think Uber and Lyft very much play a part in where we are and how we're going to drive to the future of autonomous vehicles. I think it's fair to say, um, if folks have a chance to touch base with, with, I think there's some folks from Uber here at the convention, uh, another one of the sponsors. So... Uh, but, you know, the, the work that we're taking place in Washington, D.C., both with, with the rideshare companies, prim- primarily Uber, um, I'll be honest, uh, Uber has been the one that we've been working with the most. It's been very tough to get engaged with Lyft, although recently there was an NFB settlement uh, with Lyft regarding service animals, um, which happened, I think, in late March, um, April. Uh, Lyft came sort of willing to the table after the NFB lawsuit against Uber that went into effect January 16th. Um, for folks to know that there is, um, you know, so there was a settlement uh, between Uber and NFB regarding service animals. Uh, there's an attorney named Tim Elders out of San Francisco. Anybody from the Bay Area? Some folks from the Bay, you may know Tim. He's very much a prominent leading disability rights attorney uh, that does a lot of civil rights. Great work for the blindness community. Um, and so they had engaged with, with Uber and came up with a settlement. Uh, we're still, unfortunately, getting complaints, but... You know, it, it's sort of the, the nature of the beast of the, the way in which it works with just attrition of drivers and things like that. That's going to be hard not to crack with the service animals, to, to continually re- have reliable, consistent service just because there is such turnover. The key is going to be for groups like ourselves and, and, and our sister organization, not that we're related by blood. And I think it's, it's fair to say that it's going to require a lot of outreach, a lot of advocacy in general about service animals. You know, service animals has been one of the biggest issues I've been working on this past year. I was part of an Air, Air Carrier Access Act negotiation with industry last year, and we worked a lot on the service animal issue as well. Anyone Who in this room has a service animal? 
Uh, we have a good number of people here then. Um, you know, I, I always kid about the autonomous vehicles, and I kid with this to the Uber folks as well. I'll look glad to the day. I'll, I'll look forward to the day when an autonomous vehicle comes up because then I know it won't deny me with my dog. Um, um, I say that with love to Uber because I, I will say, and, and, you know, we are involved on in the larger issue of, of accessibility in autonomous vehicles. I was, I was just at a national forum in Houston, Texas last week before the, the tropical storm came and we had to flee. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, uh, it, there are a lot of challenges in the auto industry now. Uh, they like to refer to uh, Uber and Lyft and, and where AV is coming in as well. Uh, which will disrupt Uber and Lyft in their business model. But Uber and Lyft are sort of focused on autonomous vehicles, and I'll explain some of that in a few minutes. But, you know, they call it, they call it disruptive technology. Um, I myself look at it as, 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 and this is sort of what the Europeans are calling it, what they're saying in Germany right now, transformative technology, right? Um, the idea for anybody that has stood out at a bus stop for an hour because you missed it by five seconds... And that, or, or they just don't stop because if you have your dog, they think you're walking your dog and you don't really need a ride. That happens a lot in Washington, D.C. Or even to this day with a taxi cab, I still have a, a, a complaint pending in Prince George's County in Maryland where, you know, I don't know the tag. They, they, they always get the same question. Well, what was the taxi number? You know? And I don't know. Whereas every time I'm using Uber or Lyft, I'm taking a screenshot of the driver. I have a, a, a you know, so... In a world where we had great success, let's say, with the taxis last year, and you've, if you come to D.C., the taxis have made a considerable better steps forward towards catching service animals. I get taxis very easy now, thanks in part to the lawsuit that Eric Bridges helped bring up for ACB the other year in Washington, D.C. And our hope is that we can try to replicate that. I'm working with transportation advocates to try to replicate that in other cities so that we can get similar training programs. I think it's fair to say in the rideshare world that we need to continue to do that. We need to continue to get, to get out there to break down the cultural... Um, barriers that stand some in the way of, of, of folks and just the comfort levels they have around animals and they see this as their own personal car, not really understand the business enterprise they entered into by accepting the terms of it and conditions, if they even read that. It's fair to say, you know, they push this out now where you have to sort of accept, every Uber driver would accept, but, you know, I'm guilty of <laughs> how many times have we updated software and just hit accept, accept, accept. Um, all that goes to say, though, is that, you know, this world where we're in with the rideshare model uh, is really transformative. There's no question about that, or else a lot of people wouldn't be so passionate. And even after, you know, the issues that folks with service animals, myself included, face, we still use it. Uh, and, and we still are working with Uber. We've made a lot of breakthroughs in trying to uh, foster a, a sense of cul corporate, uh, you know, uh, culture towards accessibility. They're currently looking, if anybody in here is program-minded, computer-minded, a big tech nerd, they're looking for folks, and they pay good in San Francisco. So if you dream about living on the dock of the bay, um, you know, there's opportunities, I think, in San Francisco if you're a computer-minded person from an accessibility standpoint. They're hiring right now. They want to bring in that culture, and, and they are at it. Uber is the 800-pound gorilla. Lyft is trying to take into markets where Uber suffered some over the past year because of their, their sort of public image. But, um, you know, they're going to be around, and, and they're going through a transformative moment right now where they'll come up with a new CEO, um, and they'll, they'll be strong because they are well-positioned around the country. To that end, we try to find ways to find out how can we work and, and partner. And even though there's the difficulties and the frustrations that we face sometimes, uh, we know we face those in a lot of other areas in our life as well, like I mentioned with taxi cabs, um, where I still travel around the country um, with, with my, my dog, who's unfortunately not with me for this trip, but um, you know we travel around as a team, and folks that have animals know. Um, and then we get the bugs for accessibility on the software for the, like the app. You know, there's there's always the thing about the, when Google introduces autonomous vehicle, uh, the blind advocates in Washington D said, "Aha!" Um, and it reminds me of the old joke about the waiter that goes, "You know, waiter, come here." And the guy says, "What? what what's the wrong?" And he goes, "It's the soup." And he goes, "What is it? Too hot? No, try the soup." He goes, "Is it too cold? Try the soup." Is it not good at all? He goes, "Try the soup." And he goes, "Where's the spoon?" And the waiter goes, or the guy goes, "Aha!" You know. So the idea that he needs a spoon. So for us, that's accessibility, right? We need the app to work. We don't have a spoon. How can we drive an autonomous vehicle if it wasn't accessible? And that was kind of how Google was sort of like, oh, that's a really good point. So, you know, um, in the work that we do, that's where we kind of are right now, just like with ride sharing, making sure the app is accessible, uh, the things to make sure that, uh, you know, uh, just that the technology has us in consideration. 
And, and we're, we've been fortunate to work with Uber on a national level uh, to really try to be pushing that out. We're working with the NFE settlement. Our hopes is that that will bring uh, lift more to the table um, in, in sort of conversations, and we hope that we can engage them as well in the ride-sharing model. Um, we're fortunate. You know, we stand in solidarity with our brothers and sisters in, in the larger disability community that have some serious challenges. But it's, it's primarily around, you know, with the wheelchair constraints, where even in New York City, when they launched the, the, the accessible taxi cabs, the MV1s they called them, uh, anyone from New York here? So they have the accessible cabs in New York. Even those weren't, you know, they were supposed to, they brought one down to, to the Senate building and rolled it out, and there was this huge come and see event. And uh, even those are real difficult, I'm finding out, for people in wheelchairs. So even when we, we think we build from the ground up, but we're really not, uh, it, it's, it's creating an environment uh, that's not there yet. We're not there yet from accessibility, right? We're almost there. From our world, it's a lot easier. Uh, but we still stand in solidarity with our with our brothers and sisters in the larger disability community and pushing for something new. The key is we're going to need to have something new, but we're at a really exciting time. And so what I want to share now, you know, in a sense of where autonomous vehicles is going, is kind of the models, what's going to be driving these models. And I'm not talking about the little, what were those little model cars I built as a kid, the re real rally or realist, realistic or something like that. Um you know, it's not those kind of models in the sense, but it's it's the, the the way the business is being created. It makes every sense for Uber and Lyft, even though I hate to think that we're creating an industry of service industry of people who are providing these rides now to people. Um, but, you know, their their future has sort of a, a sunset, right? Because you get rid of that, then you drive your, your ability to make costs a lot more if you get rid of the human factor. And President Obama said one of the biggest concerns when he left the White House at the end of his administration after his eight years the biggest concern he had in the world today it wasn't global warming although that is important it wasn't the healthcare thing it was the automation the fact that we are automating our world more and more and so what are we going to do as people are we just going to be like those that watch the the pixar movie wally where we just kind of float in this symbiotic sort of listfulness through outer space as our planet is trashed so how do we exist in this world right with autonomous vehicles, and, and how do we create an industry? Uh, our hope is that it can be an industry where accessibility can rise more to the table and our brains can be put to use and create jobs for people who are blind. But in a sense of users, um, you know, how is this going to transform our lives too? Uh, there we are currently in the United States operating autonomous vehicles on the road now today that have humans in them strictly because the regulation doesn't want to cut the cord completely, right? States are being smart. We're at the, the research data stage right now. Um, who lives in Pittsburgh? Anybody from Pittsburgh? Nobody? Who's from Phoenix? Anybody from around Phoenix? Scottsdale, Arizona? Yes, we are. You all are? Okay. Um, GM is currently running them in Scottsdale right now, <laughs> autonomous vehicles. Uber has them in Tucson. Anyone from Tucson? Uber has four autonomous Volvos right now in Tucson and eight in Pittsburgh in service now. So you can call an Uber now in Pittsburgh, and there's a one out of 300 chance or 500 chance or however many Ubers are on the car that ride that day that you're going to have an autonomous vehicle pick you up. Now, there's a human being in the front of it, but that person is an engineer. That person's job is he, he or she can jump in at a moment's notice to, to take control of the car, let's say if – if, you know, the aliens from outer space attack and mind control our cars. But, but more importantly, he's there collecting data. And the Tesla? Yeah. The Tesla, so there's different stages of autonomous. And, and I'm trying to think the Tesla wasn't the person's fault, I think. Oh, the technical fault. I'm sorry, I'm thinking of the Tesla in Florida that was like a year ago. Oh, the Arizona one, yeah. Well, <clears throat> so here's, here's, here's the situation with the Uber cars. We are in the R&D stage of still of autonomous vehicles to get to what's called level five, fully autonomous vehicles. We're right now operating what's called highly autonomous, which still has that human in the front that can in a moment's notice jump in. But the science fiction is still science in a sense and fiction, but it's, it's, it's much more here than we think it is. It's a lot closer than we think it is. There are, there are the technical issues and, and there are concerns, which is why right now states are really taking the trying to figure out how to regulate these things. Some cities are embracing the technology to come into their cities and to try it out like Pittsburgh, 
Carnegie Mellon's robotic has some of the best robotics teams in the world. <clears throat> Uber came in and basically stole all their professors and opened up shop in Pittsburgh. They took a lovely Volvo cross country and, and did one of two ways of how we're really essentially going to get autonomous vehicles, either highly or fully autonomous onto the road. All right. You can take an existing car to date and you can outfit it with a lot of hardware that someone in their garage that's real smart, like sort of a, uh, you know, Steve Wozniak or, or Steve Jobs in the early 80s and late 70s can do, you know, <clears throat> and, and that's kind of what they did. They took the smart minds out of, out of Carnegie Mellon, Uber did, and, and put on the cars and adapted, adapted regular Volvos, you know, nice fancy Volvos that, are, that have a, uh, an image, brand image of safety, you know. It's a good car to put on the road that's autonomous. Um, and the other way is from the ground up. Now, when we talk about larger accessibility issues and from the ground up, there's some interesting stuff taking place in that sphere right now that's, that's taking place as we speak this very moment and not too far from here and south of here in Las Vegas um, called a place called Local Motors. But in terms of the vehicles that are being outfitted now, the idea is that, and they're all kind of getting into it. GM is getting into it. Um, BMW, Audi, uh, Volvo, as we said. Uh, they're, they're getting into sort of this DIY, do-it-yourself kind of model of, of taking an, an existing car and outfitting it. Um, the, the, the more these cars, and this is kind of the path of least resistance, right? It's easy to, it's a lot easier uh, if you got a home to pop it out, you know, than it is to build a whole new home from scratch, right? You can add on a second floor a lot easier than you can, or a lot cheaper than you can build a whole new foundation and do everything like that to get it done. Um, in, in terms of where they're going with it, every car that's out there on the road is unannounced to maybe the person that has a Tesla that, that is maybe, you know, semi-autonomous or has certain features in it, maybe the highly autonomous, you know, um, they are collecting data and they are, they are, they are trying to work. And the reason why, uh, we are still, I would say maybe 10 years or more away from you and me being able to go to the local dealer and buy us an autonomous vehicle, which in science fiction, isn't that far away. But the way that it's going to succeed and the way we're going to get to that for 10 years is the rideshare model taking the cars like they're doing and outfitting them, putting the kits on it. And they're out there, they're working in real life, and they're using a hive mentality. Does anyone know what that is? The idea of that, you, you notice where you'll see like 100 bees or a, or a school of fish and they will turn on a dime instantly. So they're all, in a sense, taking in information and, and then relaying, communicating information in a way that is is almost like they're an organically one creature. So in Pittsburgh right now, the eight cars in Pittsburgh are in a sense one car with eight different vehicles moving around, and they're bringing in data and they're mapping out. They're telling you where every pothole is. They're telling you how different it is when a squirrel or a chipmunk runs in front of your car, the different variations, you know, the, the canes versus walkers versus all this stuff. They're taking in information, and they're just they're gobbling it up like a school of fish, just eating, eating plankton, you know, just yum, 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 yum. And, and what they're doing, though, is they're laying the, the, the basic fundamental bedrock uh, that's going to map cities. We were trying real hard to get an autonomous vehicle here to Reno, uh, and we probably could have if not for the fact that Reno hasn't really been mapped out too much. There is a Tesla plant here in town. Uh, where they make the batteries for Tesla here. So we're hoping maybe we could work through that channel. But again, um, you know, the roads need to get mapped out. Someone needs to be the first pioneer. Uh, it's a little different, though, when you're sending someone up into a rocket ship into space and when they're driving on our city streets, right? Because we walk on those city streets, right? Um, I will say this personally as someone who has been hit by a car three times in his life. Um, I always joke that I have real bad karma. Um, that... That I didn't say it was a good joke. That you know, essentially, the safety stuff that's coming in. This is this is one of the forces that's driving the autonomous vehicles is the insurance industry, because the technology. Even at the end of the day, yes, there was that. You know, there's a technical glitch. There's a technical error. We're working through things, but by the end of the day, the ability to take in data and not get distracted, because most of the accidents happen today are because either you know exhaustion or distraction, right? So. Uh, yeah, the last time I was hit, yeah, it was someone texting. So, you know, it, it, it is going to work towards insurance companies are, are wanting to put this stuff on your car as it exists now, even with the human driver. Because it'll just, you know, to have your car, like, start going, hey, watch it, or, or kick in, or do something, the safety features are going to make 
immense steps forward for the over 200,000 people that are hit by cars each year in this country, right? So we as pedestrians um, can benefit greatly from the technology as it even gets built into regular cars. We're going to be a long way from when every car on the road is going to be autonomous, right? But where we're going with the ride-sharing model now is it's a, it's a model that makes sense for ride-share companies to do it. And what that's going to do is it's going to bring in technology that can really transform our cities. That involves a lot of local conversations. And this is where everybody, everybody here in this room, uh, you know, I encourage you as a director of advocacy to plea to you to get involved in your local cities around anything to do with autonomous vehicle regulations and, and laws. But not just that, but the smart cities. Right? We're working with wayfinding technology and working with Uber and other folks to talk about how we need to do the handoff. What happens when the car pulls you into a parking lot of a giant mall and you get out? How do you know where you are? Right? What door are you in front of? You know, <clears throat> Is it the kind of thing where someday we'll all have an IRA on our head and it'll just tell us? But the car should be able to tell you as well. Uh, that gets into sort of the, sort of the fun thing. So I'm, I'm two challenges. I don't know how much time I got, Alice, if I'm gabbing too long or not. So get involved with not just the, the autonomous vehicles, but the conversation is on our smart cities. Because in order for autonomous vehicles to work, our cities are going to have to be smart. And we're working with things like wayfinding technology. You'll hear some of that here at the convention. I think there's a booth set up. Um, you know, Find out about that stuff. It's fascinating. But <clears throat> it not only does the handoff, but even now today, an Uber driver who can perfectly see will come up and pull up where the dumpster is in the back of the building because it's not perfectly perfect. Um, there are things coming out now called 5G, the next generation of cell, cell phone technology. Um, there's some folks here from AT&T and Verizon. If you want to learn more about that, try to touch base with them while you're here. That's going to allow us to have a lot more data and a lot more communication on a local micro level, like a smaller level that will help sort of hand off to the Bluetooth technologies that are going to be in light posts. They're going to be indoors. We, our hope is that we can just have a smart world. So we have to be better at advocating for just smart cities as well because the autonomous vehicles is part of the larger conversation. You know, the other part of the conversation isn't just the smart cities, but uh, local motors. We talk about the ground up, right? What are, what are we going to need in a car? And, you know, with the cars like the Volvo, and, and particularly with the folks, this is more important for the folks in the wheelchair and mobility aid community, but also in our community as well. Um, there is a company called Local Motors. They have a major, their plant is in, in, uh, in Las Vegas. They have a research lab in Tennessee. Anyone from Tennessee? Eastern Tennessee. <clears throat> and then if you come to Washington, D.C., we'll give you the information to go down to National Harbor where they have a facility set up for demonstrations and tours. They have a lovely vehicle called the Ollie Shuttle. Has anybody heard of Ollie? Ollie Shuttle. I love it because my son's name is Ollie. He loves it as well. It was riding around the streets of Maryland for a while outside the D.C. Capitol. But, so Ollie's shuttle is a, a shuttle that's the world's first autonomous, fully autonomous vehicle shuttle. Um, does anybody remember when Watson played Jeopardy, the computer? So they've partnered with IBM's Cognitive Lab, Cognitive Thinking Lab, and created the brains for a shuttle that's kind of like, imagine like a really hip um, VW bug. They're not bug, the microbus. Folks maybe remember the microbus in the 60s and 70s, the... Kind of, yeah, the flower power buses, you know. So it's kind of that size. It's got little benches, like nice seats on it. But it was built, here's the thing. They, they've revolutionized. They're using 3D printing, and you can take a tour in, in, in Vegas or in D.C. of the, their 3D lab to show you how it's made. Completely recycled materials. <clears throat> and they crowdsource the idea. They've used lever leveraging the Internet. Folks know what crowdsourcing is, where you throw out a question and a billion people give you an answer and, 99% accuracy, you know. So maybe not always. It depends. But to that end, um, they, they threw out the idea for crowdsourcing uh, this uh, car. Now, it takes years to go from draft paper to CAD, which is computer-assisted design on a computer, to <clears throat> material testing, all this stuff, to the final highway when you get the new whatever the fancy car is today. I don't know because I don't drive. But uh, they went in three months crowdsource, picked a choice, designed it, built it, printed it on a 3D printer in like 44 hours and had it ready to go and, and within three months and, and to show to customers that would be willing to buy this. It's a fully autonomous shuttle. Now, granted, a lot of R&D work went into Watson on the back end, but 
they have they have come with the the CTA Foundation. The CTA uh, is like sort of the Computer Association Tech Foundation Association. So the foundation for CTA, IBM, and, and Local Motors um, have have come up with what's called the Ollie Challenge for accessibility. And right now, there is if you 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 hashtag you know the little pound sign. Um, was it Access, accessible Ollie? I think is what it is. Um, or if you just search IBM and, and Ollie and, and Local Motors, you'll get it as well. It's local-motors.com um, to, to create the world's most accessible vehicle. Um, it gives us an opportunity. I, I encourage people to go check this out because we have a chance to weigh in. And if one of your ideas gets chosen, you get royalties on that, on that and you get bragging rights. So if there's any smart thinkers in here who have ideas on what do you really need, what would make the ideal accessible vehicle. Now, in this sense, they're looking to shuttles, which is another way to ride share, right? The idea of, like, to the airport or in senior communities like in Florida or college campuses, these type of shuttles could really be wonderful in getting people around and getting people mobile. Some of the things they're talking about is, let's say you walk up to Ollie. Ollie will recognize you have a cane, give you guided directions on how to get into the vehicle, let you know when you're at your stop. They're even working with uh, psychoacoustical technology and theories to put into place where it's, it's creating sound without speakers around you by disrupting the air. So that way, passenger in seat B, row 4, only hears that it's their stop. Like, it's extremely, it's, it's all sort of prototype theoretical stuff, but it's, it, it is taking the smartest people in the world. There's, there's almost 7 billion of us now, so there's a 4 or 5 people out there that are pretty smart. So it's testing those four or five people and really creating a system that at, at the core is going to, to really sort of say the sky is the limits. It gives us the ability, their model, and plus they're micromanufacturing. So they're not going through Detroit. They're going through a 3D printer that prints 12 by 12 sheets of recycled polyurethane. If they mess it up, they grind it up and do it again within a few hours. It's extremely impressive. Now, we call about, you know, we say this is a perfect example of the disruptive technology, right? But I think it's fair to say that it's transformative. Because we can test things from the wheelchair community especially. They can get things figured out, and, and oh, this doesn't work. Well, you know, with like the MV1, oh, I'm sorry, it doesn't work, but we can't change it. We already pulled the ship out of the, the harbor, right? But that can now be changed with where industry is going to go. So I would say on your radar, have it's called micromanufacturing and crowdsourcing. So Local motors probably will not be the only person in a couple of years doing that. We noted that the ride-sharing model is getting the hive technology in for data. We have to know in order to have safe cars on the streets, we have to have the data, the knowledge to know how to be safe. They have to build kind of a human brain that doesn't get distracted by shiny little silver balls like a cat or their, their phone going, you know, whenever they get a text. So, you know, the great thing is the car is on all the time, the autonomous vehicles. Uh, the Uber cars have these little discs that spin really fast, 360 degrees, and it is on all the time. And it, it's, they're getting to the granularity where it's like a leaf is falling, you know, down the road. So it's exciting times from technology. Those two things, the ability to R&D quickly and the ability to collect data. You know, there's a talk about IRAs, giving a talk later. They're here, and, and Simon talked last night, and we've been having conversations with him and other folks from sort of the wayfinding technology, is the more devices communicate to each other, the faster they learn. And, and trust me, we're not going to get a world where computers take over, take over all of our homes and robots come to invade us. But I think the, the key is for us in driving our own agenda forward is in understanding how, uh, again, and we have to get involved with these conversations on a local level with smart cities, autonomous vehicles, but then on the national level with go check out the Ollie Challenge, right? The accessible Ollie Challenge. And find ways to weigh in on what is accessibility to us and what are the things that can really drive it. Because there is a chance now, you know, the whole onset of the Internet was like the world, someone can take a blog and speak to the world. Well, we finally gotten to a point where on accessibility matters, you know, there are people willing to listen to us and, and abilities for us to get stuff that remove the huge amount of constraints that we've had to deal with in past with industry. How hard is it to get something changed after it's already been designed and millions of dollars have been played into it? Whereas you can get a CAD design, uh, someone in Czechoslovakia. In fact, Ollie is called Ollie because it's Italian for octopus because the person that, that, that submitted it was from Italy on the Internet. The guy was an Italian sort of designer person that had the idea and uploaded his designs and won the prize. So he got Ollie. He got the Ollie. So 
and this is not a commercial for local motors or Uber or Lyft or GM or whoever. Um, we're very thankful for the support that Uber and General Motors and others have been giving to us as we, we engage on talking about how transformative things like autonomous vehicles can have. Because think about it. Think how expensive it is to live on fixed route transit. And for those in rural parts of the country, how hard it is to get around. You know, without Uber and Lyft driving the machine forward, if you will, literally and figuratively, um, to collect the data, to be out there, and they get a lot of the grief from, from us as advocates, and they need to be held accountable where necessary. But two, I think it's important for us to recognize that they are also really helping pave the way. Gosh, there's a lot of bad road metaphors in this ad lib speech. But to really sort of, you know, set the, the motion forward, I'm trying to think, how can I talk about this? In a progressive tone without using car metaphors. Um, so, but I think everybody gets the sense. And so now I'll, I'll be happy to take some questions if folks have more details or concerns or areas. And it's good for me to hear, too, from you. Uh, well, hold on. There was a question let, over let, here that started let's try the mi- Let's try the spike first. I'll raise yeah. your hand for the question. Um, hold on, hold on. Hold and on. say your name, too, I'm please. Sorry. Thank you, Linda. Go ahead. Okay, my name is Linda Wiggins. Um, The question that I have, not that we didn't want to hear you speak, Tony, but I think that a lot of us thought that somebody was going to be speaking here from Uber. And that's not criticism. It's just a question. Okay, so I don't know if Malcolm's here or not at the convention. Is he? Does anybody know? He he was the one that came last year to our convention and has been doing a lot of the public engagement. Um, I apologize if it was if it was specifically set up as that. Um, And so I'm glad to see that people didn't walk out the door when they found out it was me you were waiting on. So, but um, I will say we are, we are very much engaged with Uber on a DC level um, with, with their staff. Um, I would encourage you, if you don't get a chance, if someone from Uber is not here, um, it's always hard folks trying to get folks to come over the 4th of July weekend. Um, and then to just Reno um, coming from the East Coast. But um, there are folks here I would recommend you trying to talk to. Uh, <clears throat> stop by the wayfinding table and find out more about smart cities. Um, Zach Bastian is with Verizon. We've had lots of conversations with Verizon about 5G and how that's needed for, for making these things happen. It's interesting stuff to hear about. Ask him about 5G. Um, I would say, uh, you know, in terms of um, Uber and Lyft specifically, so Uber operates in regional hubs, right? Um, if you have a regional hub, give them a call. Let them know you're an advocate from ACB or from your state affiliate or whatever affiliate you're with, and you just like to chat to them. Um, you know, Uber, Uber had the problem. They reached puberty way too early. Um, they, they were, like, eating some of that chicken that makes you reach puberty when, like, you're, like, 9 or 10 or something, I think, where it was like they, they grew way too fast. And they know that. They've talked about that. And I think the idea was they just exploded and came into cities and out of sight, out of mind sometimes. We weren't there right at the get-go. Um, but we sure have been there along the way uh, since they pulled out of the station. Can I make more transportation jokes? No. Um, but, yeah, so to that end, though, Uber, uh, get involved in the local level because they're, they're, they are working to, to bring in sort of the local regional offices more under sort of a larger umbrella, whereas before they were sort of like your wholly owned subsidiary. Um, but I would encourage you to get involved in the local level um, since, uh-huh. since uh, you know, I'm, I'm – the best you get. Sorry, there's no one from Uber here. So, uh, <clears throat> hi, Tony. Thanks for sharing. This is uh, Mike Moran. Right, Mike. Uh, I'd like to uh, bring it uh, back to uh, a daily problems that we mm-hmm. face. I mean, all this technology, we're all sensitive to this, and we're looking forward to it and enthusiastic about it. But on a practical level, there's uh, some things that we can't do. One is we cannot call Uber mm-hmm. uh, easily. Right. And it it would be helpful, I think, if we could get some kind of uh, disability hotline because they are just so difficult to reach. And uh, the other thing is I am told that the driver uh, has to watch a video. And, of course, there's, no, there's nothing in place that's going to ensure that the driver watches the video. But I'm also told that once the driver denies someone, if he does it again, he's fired. Now, what's the odds? I don't know. It depends where you live, I guess. I'm in the New York metropolitan area. What's the odds of me getting that driver again or him coming across someone with a service animal? Right. So I think there, there's some holes in the, in the system. And the, the big hole is that we cannot contact them. I will say – go ahead. 
what were you going to say, Rebecca? Who has a button? Was that Rebecca in the back? No. Oh, I'm sorry. You sounded like Rebecca. Sorry. Um, okay. Did you have a comment to that as well or to add to that? Okay, Go ahead. Add, add to that comment, and I'll respond to both. I have the mic. Okay. Um, in response to the thing about whether you're going to get fired or not if or the chances of getting the same driver, I thought I understood that if you rate the driver at like either a two or a three, you're never going to get matched with them again. And chances are if they deny you service, you're probably going to rate them pretty low, so you should not get them again. Well, here, well they are if two or three people a, rate them that same way, because chances are if they denied you, they're going to deny someone else, too. So here is a, here's just some quick comments and a little bit about that in terms of the communication. Is, um, so Uber does, and you're right, Uber does about 5 million rides a day in the United States. Um, that's a lot of cars out on the road, right? Um, that's a lot of people. Um, it is an extremely, I'm not defending them, I'm just talking from their from business model perspective. Um, an extremely organic workforce. They don't. You can't technically fire because they always say they're independent contractors, right? But you're dropped from the platform. That's the words they use. You know, you're dropped from the platform. Yep. You're no longer. You're you're like um, Michael Corleone in The Godfather. You're you're no longer part of it. You know, you're. you're <laughs> yeah. So, okay. so um, you know, they the thing with. In terms of the complaints is, and we've made this aware to them, yeah, it, can there be a disability rights hotline? Can there be different ways to get it communicated? Um, <clears throat> when there have been egregious issues, and I mean egregious, like, you know, like issues that are just sort of really out there, but clearly a threat, versus the opportunity to educate, let's say, you know, two strikes, you're out kind of thing, um, we have been able to get drivers removed immediately. You know, from the platform, if if those cases are verified and confirmed and that stuff. So again, it's it's we just need to be smart advocates. Now, it's 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 a shame to think we have to still live in that world, right? Why do we have to take the burden? Why do I? Why is it every time we go into a store, we have to sort of have in the back of our head, well, here I am with my dog, and I hope they're not going to say anything. You know, into certain stores, you know, there's there's one chain in particular that I have issues with. It seems in D.C. So. Um, uh, but go ahead, real quick comment then. Okay, uh, Dave McLeroy, uh, Visalia, California. Hi. Uh, just commenting on the on the Uber, on the uh, uh, Tesla issue. I, I remember reading it, and what it was was the driver the, at that time. Uh, Tesla had an, a totally autonomous mode, and you could be in it like autopilot, a, a total autopilot. And what happened was the uh, from the article that I read, uh, the 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 autopilot mistook the side of a refrigerator trailer uh, for the uh, open horizon and just smashed right into it mm. and k- killed killed the driver of course of the yeah. of the vehicle so that was the and i do think by the you say 10 years i think more like 20 more because of society than anything else i think we're going to have to make a total paradigm shift to where we have a society no, I know, and that's that's the thing. You know, there's watch consumer watchdog groups been very actively engaged and and you know wanting to to go on and on as more and more. Here's sort of the reality in a sense. Um, it when when industry decides to move something forward, it, it moves a lot easier when than when they don't decide, right? When you have the insurance companies and the manufacturers and then the rideshare programs, um, I think it's fair to say that. Uh, you know, th- it will probably be on the road in three, four years. We'll start seeing this as a service in certain cities that are highly regulated. Probably, um, you're going to, to probably see over that time that data getting collected and people getting used. Here's a concept: How long is who's who's used Uber for more than two years? Couple people. You know, think about this. Two years ago, let's go three years back in time. Well, I'm going to step in the time machine over here. I'm going to go three years back in time. All right? All right, we're back in time. I'm going to have a stranger pull up to your house in a car that I can't see. Maybe it's making funny noises. And open that door and get in that stranger's car. I, my wife's coming on Monday, so please don't tell her I said this. We were, we were city folk moving down from New York, and she's a horrible driver. Um, not scary, you know, and I just get nervous in the car. She's gotten much better since we moved to Maryland. I give her credit. But we're both equally anxious in the car. And, and even with her, I'm nervous. But w- how have we transformed culture of our world in two years? People that never took taxi cabs 
step into a stranger's car. Okay, so let's go back to the original point. Yeah. No, and I agree. Okay. Okay, well, let's, let's, let's wrap this question up because I was just told we have a lot of hands up. But let's, let's close this out by saying this. You're, you're right. We shouldn't. I take cabs more sometimes because I just don't want to wear my, my work hat when I'm going home. You know, I don't want to have to do the, do you know who I am kind of thing. And, and, and it was funny when Eric Bridges and Melanie had a horrible Uber driver once, Melanie um, Brunson. And it was just kind of like, I was just thinking as the car pulled away, I was like, I hope this driver knows who they just took. And, um, you know, it, 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 but it's, we, we shouldn't be anxious. Um, we should be firm but find opportunities to educate and know that we're still the same way that the cars, autonomous cars are in an R and D stage. We're still at this cultural learning stage of, of, you know, and it, and it shouldn't be that way. Tony, I'm not saying it should be uh, just to that point. It's that mm-hmm. I want to say that my experience actually filing complaints with Uber has been positive. The app is very easy to use. They've made it takes it a screen easier, yeah. picture of all the, all the, the issues. It gives you uh, contact. When I send an email off, I uh, oftentimes get a person calling me back to seek information. They actually have an ex- uh, accessible yeah. hotline already uh, that people yeah. can use and stuff. And they're extremely responsive. And, and so, but, and, and so and they're taking right. they it have seriously. Made, the corporate Uber has made good steps, but that still. But Mike still has the, Mike still has a valid point though, and I feel your point. Where we had somebody in in a town, and I won't say who it was, um, but the Uber finally said, "Okay." After a, a, a law enforcement stepped in and said, "You have to take this person," and then went three blocks and tried to kick the person out of the car. So um, you know, uh, we shouldn't have that anxiety. Uh, the problem is, uh, you go to a McDonald's, and sometimes you still get an. Right. And 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 it's it's no difference from McDonald's or an Uber. And it's a shame. Um, We are continuing to work and try to find positive ways to reinforce and to get the message out to remind people of the law. Remember, folks, it's we're 27 years into the ADA and we're still having our dogs denied in stores and and regular Title three accommodations. So um, but which is why we need to have a solid voice. All right. And it's and it's why we also at the same point, though, need to work with. The way that we might work with, let's say, the restaurant association around service animals and restaurants, uh, the same way we need to work with, with the auto industry and the, 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 the ride share companies and those groups. So other questions? We, we, let's move on to another. Yeah, I, two quick questions. Sure. Who um, is this? My name is Jim, and this Hi, is Carol Jim. Snyder, my mom. Um, I have a comment, and then my mom had a question. Sure. First on the smart cities. I just mm-hmm. looked it up. New York's the only one going with anything what you've been talking about. Not they necessarily. They said it was all Europe, Europe and yeah. Asia. Not necessarily. That, that's that's for okay. I just read yeah. on that. Yeah. Okay. okay. Here. Go ahead. Well, I mean, Kansas City received a ton of money from Google, um, and they're really making leaps and strides uh, in sort of the urban planning. I was just in Houston meeting with the head of the disability office for Houston, who used to work for the White House, uh, Maria Towns. Houston is really focused. Uh, Mayor Cassetti in Los Angeles. Um, is focused and committed. They're they're ramping up their their fixed route transportation, and I think in doing so, there's been there's been good conversations. So I wouldn't say it's just New York. Now the key is going to be when will it be Macon, Georgia? When will it be Peoria, Illinois? When will it be you know uh, Sioux Falls, South Dakota? Is that in South Dakota? Right. Yeah. I'm Ed Ramsey from Houston, so, Texas. Go ahead, Ed. Thanks for the great remarks about our city. The other thing I was going to mention, I use GoGo Grandparent. It's verbal. Everything yes. is voiced, excellent program, and you can push three to talk to the driver or one to be picked up where you live, two to be picked up where you dropped off. Mm-hmm. And, um, and here, in, well, it's national. Go, go, grandparent. It is. It is. And it's, it's not in every city yet, but this was, we were talking about this when I was down in Houston. I just last used week. it over here. The thing about Go, go, grandparent is it, it is in certain cities. Uh, cities that have older age, because also the drivers are older age as well. It's an opportunity for people who are older in years um, to also make a little money. Uh, and it's, it's kind of, a, it's, again, Uber started as sort of like a social network is how they say it, right? Um, the go-go grandparent is, is good in that um, it, it, it caters to the special needs of the group as well. You might not get it. It, it probably is not going to be sitting outside like an Uber where you can catch an Uber here at the hotel and it'll say arrive in one minute. It will. Go, I go, did, grandparent I, will? Yes. Well, then go, go, grandparent smart, because I guess if I was going to be in that car with that service, I would be hanging out by a casino where my thing, grandparents hang out at. How do you... So, um, 
how you find you let's say you get the car when you're in the shopping center how are you going to locate the smart car when you you know well and that's what we're talking about we're working out that technology now with the wayfinding technology so that the car and they need to figure this out anyways for sighted people so that that car and your phone are married as they say in computer world and that it comes directly to you like I was saying, my name is Juan Carlos. I live in Miami, Florida. I use Uber constantly. Uh, before I used, uh, you know, uh, special transportation services, I'm. We and and that's one of the issues of, uh, you know, how do we disclose our disability? Uh, and we've we've come to them to say, can I have a picture with me and my dog smiling cheerfully in the picture as well, just to give them a heads up that it's not a snarling, quivering ball of fur uh, that's about to get in their car. But no, you raise a good point. The, the experiences you're talking about, so Uber, Uber is currently challenged with the number of cities, the number of lawsuits they're engaged with. There's just one in D.C. There's a big one in Chicago. They are working, they are piloting a number of different solutions to try to find the best way to make cars accessible for people with, with mobility aids and wheelchairs. Um, and so there are different cities around the country are doing some different things. Washington, D.C. is trying something different. Uh, they're trying like lease programs where they can lease uh, they'll give you an incentive where you save like 15%. You get 15% more on your fare if you, you Uber drivers can lease a car. And so if you lease the accessible vehicle, you'll get more money. Um, I would say from the user perspective, um, you know, it, it's, it's good, like you mentioned, your snapshot, maybe to have the wheelchair. Uh, it's, it's good in a sense of, um, uh, you know, they had something called Uber Assist for a while, but I think that wasn't as successful as they thought, where it was kind of like dialing up an Uber with a car seat um, where you would do the specific Uber assist car. And that would be like an accessible vehicle. And the drivers were trained a little bit more on how to, you know, how to get the restraints right and things like that. Um, you know, in terms of, of what you're looking for, it's still sort of being piloted. Our hope is that th they'll come up with a, a solution that's, that's sooner than later. And we have been talking to them specifically, like you said about your chair, also around the service animals ways that we can just kind of let folks know, um, you know, because it's, I don't know, just, I feel like that could maybe also just kind of get the idea of service dogs out more into the culture, um, you know, seen and seen as well as heard and things like that. So one in the back and then one in the front after that. I heard one up here in the front toward me. Uh, who's in the back first? Oh, let's do the go-go grandparent number real quick. Everybody listen up and I'll repeat it. 855-464-6872. Okay. And that was GoGo Grandparent. I'm sure if you have access to the internet, you can probably go to GoGo Grandparent. And, and the more that these services also get around, um, you know, Uber and Lyft will learn from them. Uh, it'll also maybe start doing a little competition. And, and it could be the kind of thing where maybe it could be consumed, like it happens in other tech spheres. And then. I'm Becky Davidson. I am the chair of the Environmental Access Committee. And we work very closely with the Transportation Committee, especially when it comes to doing convention presentations. And there's a lot, um, a lot of great information that you're going to get um, talking about wayfinding and IRA and the incredible impact it's already having on everything from going to the grocery store to calling up an Uber. So um, we have with us today Paul Schrader, who is the Director of Public Policy for IRA. And I'm going to turn the mic over to him because you'd rather listen to him yammer than me. Thank you, Becky. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. I would rather listen to you yammer, but, um, you know, there it is. You're... Ooh, yeah. Well, thank you very much. It's uh, great to be back with Environmental Access Committee. Um, does anyone go back as, as far as the days when I actually worked for ACB from 91 to 94 and did, I did, some, time, I did some time in this committee? It's like it was my penance. Um, I, loved, I loved coming to these meetings. Um, this was always where we had a lot of fun talking about detectable warnings back in the day. Woohoo! Um, yeah, those were the days. Um, so we've come a heck of a long way. I remember, I believe it was in an environmental access committee where we were getting into a spirited argument about whether, in fact, um, cell phones would ever be good enough to place us uh, so that, in fact, with your cell phone, yes, even, even in the early 90s, of course, uh, we're in the 90s, we knew about GPS possibly, uh, GPS being a thing, but the idea of knowing uh, in, a, in a vertical building whether a cell phone could ever tell you what floor you're, whether you could ever identify what floor you're on, that sort of thing. So we've, we've come a long way with what, uh, what technology can do for us, and Ira, uh, which, which I am pleased to say I am now part of, 
uh, is uh, one example and a great example of what technology can do. I have thought for a long time that as the advent of miniaturized video cameras and smartphones and communications networks, as all that stuff came together, I remember thinking back around 2000 that this would be a great thing for blind people um, because it would allow us to carry um, a sighted assistant in our pocket, which sounds kind of weird, but there it is. Um, <laughs> A tiny miniature sighted assistant um, right there in our pocket. Um, and so, and I remember hearing about a, a guy who uh, I, I rigged up a way in which he was using a video camera, I think out on a sailboat, uh, to kind of keep track of where he was. What's that? I think it was Bruce You know, I don't, remember, I don't even remember who it was. Um, but I thought it was so cool. I was like, yeah, that's exactly what I think we could be doing is, is uh, using video camera and, and smartphones and connecting back to people, uh, seeing the vantage point of our world through the camera uh, to give us instruction. And so when I started hearing about IRA, and of course it, it, at the same time we were hearing about um, Be My Eyes Emerging, which is a, a perfectly wonderful app, uh, and um, of course FaceTime was coming about, and as I always say, I've got to, uh, two daughters, and, and the main reason blind people have children is sort of like the old agriculture farm days. It's for cheap labor and driving, <laughs> re- reading to us, um, you know. We love them too, but I mean, so that's just a nice added value. But, but you know, this, this, uh, this read. So, I mean, how many of us have used FaceTime, right, to call up our kids or whatever and say, hey, what, what's this box say? What are the directions on this thing? So, um, and, and I do that now because the kids are in college. Not, I could use Ira, but I do it just because I pay for their college. The least they can do is tell me what, you know, what, what, what's in the damn freezer box every so often. So, um, so as these things were starting to come about, I started hearing about this, uh, this Ira company and um, got to meet uh, Suman Kanyaganti, um, who has been around the show. And you, some of you heard him last night if you were at the opening session. Uh, and he's just so darned enthusiastic um, and, and excited about what this program can be. And, you know, he talked about his friend last night and how he got involved, like many sighted people, right, L- working with a friend who's blind. And, 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 but what, what, what happens with a lot of sighted people is, right, wouldn't it be cool if, well, Suman said that and the thought, well, yeah, it would be cool if, and I'm going to do it. Um, wouldn't it be cool if we could harness this video technology and turn it into a real professional platform? And so now I will admit when I met him, and he, and he likes this story. We met at CSUN a couple of years ago. Um, I, I worked, um, as, you, as you all know, back in the day for the American Council of the Blind, and then I went to work for the American Foundation for the Blind. So for years, right, all, and you guys probably get this too, people come up to you and go, I got this great idea for blind people. You guys really need X, you know, and 90% of the time it's already done or we don't need it. Um, <laughs> and so... Um, the, uh, it, now, do we have any uh, University of Michigan people in the crowd? Good, so I can make fun of them. Um, so my, my daughter went to Ohio State, uh, the Ohio State University. Uh, well, 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 but the, here's the thing I've learned about the Big Ten. We all hate Michigan, so we all agree on that at least. I mean, <laughs> so, so, um, so these guys from the University of Michigan have this idea that what blind people need is a piece of technology that whenever you walk up to an automatic door, you know, the doors that have the buttons for largely people in wheelchairs or, or walkers, that it will automatically trigger the door and open it. And I'm like, oh, my God, it's the worst idea I have ever heard. You're walking with your coffee cup, and all of a sudden the door smash right into you. So I'm thinking typical Michigan people, right? They just assume what we... <laughs> All right, so enough making fun of Michigan. But that's the kind of stuff. And so when I met Suman uh, at CSUN, and he had this, this prototype for Ira, I said, another, another well-meaning guy who thinks what do you know blind people need. Um, and the prototype wasn't working that well at the time. It was kind of long latency, uh, you know, long delay, right? So I don't know, five, ten seconds or something. So, so, so th- there was a long delay between what the agent saw and where you actually were. And I was like, oh, that can't work. But it was clear that he was different. This wasn't your, your average sort of guy with an interesting idea that he wants to do for blind people. It was clear that he wanted to do this with blind people, right? See us as partners, friends, peers. And he, in fact, he made the comment the other day that he hangs out with more blind people now than sighted people. And it's like, yeah, you're, you're, you're part of us, man. You're, you're, in the, you're, you're, you're in the family now. Uh, and so... Um, and so it was, it was clear that this guy, you know, he, there was some work that needed to be done, but the concept was right, 
and more important, the heart was right, and uh, we were in the right we were in the right place and moving forward. So, um, fast forward a little bit, and uh, the platform is ready to launch last fall, and it's uh, it's clear now that uh, as as he's starting to uh, as, as as the Ivra platform was starting to really get into prime time, uh, that this was something that was special. So, uh, what is it? And then we'll and then we'll. Uh, do a little demo and, and talk a little bit more about the technology. Um, I think most of you know, but I'll just go over the basics. So it is a video camera, usually worn uh, in a glass, a smart glass. I, I have Google Glass on my very head at this moment. Um, and it's funny when I tell people that, they're like, I thought Google Glass was discontinued. It's like, well, that was just for the glass holes. Um, everybody, else, everybody else gets to keep it. Um, so, so it actually it was it was discontinued for consumer use because they were you know people were it just didn't get met with the right kind of reception, but it is absolutely still being used in enterprise, uh, in development, and business, and there are companies using it on uh, job uh, factory floors and things like that. So Ira uh, harnessed it for the video camera in the glass, and so Ira connects the video camera in the glass. There is a MiFi device. Uh, which is about the size of a cell phone. It's just a block. If any of you have ever used one, you know what I'm talking about. Um, there is one big glaring problem with a MiFi device, which is it has no speaker, and they typically have no indications of whether they're on or off. Uh, so it's a bit frustrating. But, um, you know, we're blind people. We're adaptable. And we know how to live with that. Uh, and hopefully we'll also get that solved. Um, so, so the glass connects to the MiFi device. And then is all carried, as you know from last night, if you heard, through the AT&T network. Thank you, AT&T. They're doing a terrific job supporting this. Um, yeah. And also great um, sponsors here at ACB. The, uh, and that means the data is on there, on their network, uh, and, and on, not on your caps if you have a capped plan, as I do. And um, there are four of us in the family, and the two daughters ran up the data this month, and I'm out of data, uh, as it turns out. So... Anybody want to lend some data? I'm, I'm here for you. I, I'd love to have it. Hey, it's Troy. So, so we got the video camera. We've got the uh, connected via glass through the through the MiFi device through the AT&T network. The other half of the Ira uh, solution is an app on your cell phone, Android or iPhone. Um, how many Android users are in the room? By the way, applaud if you would. Oh, come on, seriously. There's really only one Android user in this, in this entire room. <laughs> Wait, did you applaud? Did you applaud, Troy? Okay, were you the only one? No. Okay. <laughs> okay, there's two Android users. We just when Troy walked in, it just increased by 50 percent the number of Android. All right, so so it is on Android or iPhone. So that's the other half. So the app on the phone is your smartphone. You bring that to the party. Um, and the app handles all of the integration of your communication. So what happens? So you, hit, you bring up the app, and I'll do that in just a second. And um, the, there's some choices to make. It's a pretty basic, uh, straightforward app, very easy to use. But it's, the, the crux of it, essentially, is you make sure your glasses are connected, ready to go. And then you tap uh, the glass choice, and then you tap call Ira, and you're connected to the agent. Boom, uh, and it's you're you're off and running, doing whatever you want to do. Um, the Ira agents are professionals; they are paid, they are trained, and they are also really cool. Um, if you've ever worked with them, you know that. Um, so we we have been. I'll take a question. In just a second. We have been really fortunate in having. Um, so many people get delighted to be able to work for Ira that we've had the pick of uh, the best in terms of being able to recruit and train uh, agents. And I, I've been on the, uh, I've had the pleasure of being able to train some agents and uh, sort of catch them as they get toward the end of their time, getting ready to be uh, released as agents onto the onto the Ira network. Uh, and it's just a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun to kind of walk, help them walk through uh, what it means to be an agent. That was a little of an abrupt stop, but we will be continuing the discussion on the next Main Menu program. Main Menu is brought to you by the American Council of the Blind and ACB Radio. It airs every Friday evening beginning at 9 p.m. Eastern on ACB Radio Mainstream and repeats every four hours until 5 p.m. the following day. You can listen by pointing your internet browser to acbradio.org mainstream Grab it as a podcast, listen using ACB Link for iOS, or call 605-475-8130 at airtime. 
If you have any ideas or suggestions for content or have something to submit of your own, email us, mainmenu at acbradio.org. You can reach us on Twitter at Main Menu. Thanks so much, and we'll see you next time.